0: Welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast with me, Robbie Swale, uh, where I have open, honest, frank conversations with coaches about how they grew their business, about how they work with clients, about life as a coach. Uh, And this is episode two with Phil Bolton. Now, Phil founded the coaching school where I trained as a coach. He uh, created the program and the curriculum there. So he's been a huge influence on me. Um, but in this interview we go right back to the start of Phil's coaching journey when he was a forensic accountant uh, and he'll tell us about how he transitioned to being an internal coach at Deloitte and then got thrown in right at the deep end there and then when he returned to London via a hiccup or two how he established himself as at the time essentially the go-to career coach in London now in that there's all kinds of practical things Uh, there's what he learned from Uh, hundreds and hundreds of career coaching clients about how to structure an engagement to support people through those transitions. There's why the bit where they really get frustrated with their coaching is his favorite bit and where he thinks the magic happens. Uh, And then there's the story of how he came to the end of the road with that business and began to transition into something new, his third business and second coaching business. There's also what he learned about sales over 13 years of running these businesses and loads more. Now, one of the reasons I feel really blessed to have been trained by Phil um, and also that it makes him a great trainer of coaches generally and just a fascinating person to talk to about his work is he has what seems to be quite a unique way of, of looking at his work, of looking at coaching uh, and of his business with a particular kind of clarity and focus and directness that, that I have certainly found quite unusual in coaching but also generally uh so it's a real pleasure to get to share some of that with you so that you can take some of the benefits from that that i have over the years and uh with that let's let's dive straight into episode two of the Coach's journey podcast with phil bolton phil it is uh lovely to have you on the podcast um you uh yeah, you've been a massive part of my coaching journey because of the coaching school that you founded. Um, and it's it's just great to have you here. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. I'm really delighted to be here, Robbie. I'm looking forward to seeing where we go this morning.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. um, so just to start us off, give us uh, tell me, I guess, where did you first come across coaching?
1: That's a really good question. I was thinking about this this morning. Um, you know, when I was at school and university, like the idea of being a coach didn't really even exist because I guess I'm pretty old, so um, it wasn't something that really entered my consciousness. Um, yeah, I, I studied history at university, um, which I kind of enjoyed. Um, ended up becoming an accountant because I wanted to move to London and get a job, and that was an easy way to do it. And I thought that would g- give me some kind of more educational qualifications. And there was some good and some bad in that career path for me. Um, yeah, I didn't particularly enjoy the accounting element, but it put me in um, a big organisation surrounded by people. And um, As I sort of moved up through the ranks, I got to manage some of those people and build relationships and develop them and be their counsellor and their mentor. So there was a kind of element where I always enjoyed the, the people aspect of my work the most. And did, did you know that at the time? Um, I was probably partially aware of that. I wouldn't say I was fully consciously aware of that. Um, and yeah, at some point in my career, I spent about five years working in London. I became fraud investigator, which I was really interesting because it was the time of Enron. So there was always momentum in my in my work, but I still wasn't really aware of coaching I did a few training courses here and there, which I really enjoyed. I actually started delivering a few training courses, which I really enjoyed. So I think all the clues about what might happen in the future were there, but I wasn't really, as you said, I wasn't really joining up the dots at that point. Then after, as I said, after five years in London, I moved over, um, transferred to a job in San Francisco in the States doing similar work, which was a great opportunity to see the world and do something different. But this was kind of the age where suddenly – I remember when I got my first – somebody gave me my first BlackBerry probably in about 2005. And they were like, now you can pick up your email all the time. I was like, woo that's so great. And then within about six weeks, I was like, uh-oh, this is not so great, actually. Um, and it, I ended up traveling a lot with that job and being away from my wife and increasingly not enjoying the work and not finding any value in the actual you know, technical work that I was doing. And that started to make me unhappy. Um, I really felt you know, I wasn't on the right path. I felt like my work didn't have much value or purpose. And I was working very hard. And I remember working kind of 1.23 days in a row without taking a day off and 15 hours a day and thinking, why am I doing all of this? And I guess those are the kind of big questions that eventually make you seek out some help. So one of my friends noticed that I was pretty miserable and unhappy and said, hey, you should think about talking to a coach. So you asked the question, when did I first come across this idea? Honestly, that's the first time when somebody said
0: And who was the friend?
1: It was just one of my colleagues.
0: Thanks to them, right?
1: Yeah, I know. Amazing, right? And they said, look, Delight has this in-house coaching service and people you can talk to, they'll help you figure out who you are, what you're good at, what you enjoy they'll help you think about where you might be able to best apply that within the organisation or even outside the organisation and kind of sort your life out and find something that makes you happier. And I was like,
0: oh, okay, what have I got (laughs) to lose? It sounds like... You know, you're kind of shrugging a little bit there. Like, what was that feeling? It doesn't sound like you were like, wow, this sounds like exactly the perfect thing. It was more, there's nothing to lose here.
1: It was curiosity.
0: Right. Yeah, because I didn't, I mean... I didn't know
1: what coaching was or what it entailed, but the outcome sounded pretty good. So I was like, all right, like, why not give that a go? What have I got to lead at this point? You know, I'd just been on a project where I got sent away for six weeks and it was a really tough project. I was really miserable. I ended up, like, crying in my pillow listening to Cheryl Crow, the first cut is the deepest, after three <laughs> bottles of red wine one night. And I was like,
0: okay, screw it, like, let's give this coaching thing a go because this is not a good way to be um but and that and that you know that there's something quite interesting about that you know given i'm I'm sure your experience many coaches experience about when clients come to them
1: that's right there's gotta i think there's gotta be some there's gotta be that motivation and there's gotta be the circumstances that take you to the point of i'm ready to consider um properly engaged with making a change mm. and I think I probably, you know, that show or cry moment really was like okay I've got to do something about this now so yeah I followed up on this lead I met my coach for the first time we had a session or two and I was like whoa this is amazing yeah you're asking that question about how well was I of the fact that I like working with people I, I probably wasn't that aware honestly and we did like a Myers Briggs um, you know psychometric test. And she you know debriefed it with me. And she was like, Yeah, according to this, you're not really into details and numbers very much. And you're a forensic accountant. I was like, but actually you really love people. I'm like, oh yeah, I really kind of do love people. And yeah, then I sort of looked back over the last few years and it reached the point where I'd become the office agony uncle. So I always had a queue of people outside my door coming to ask me, what should I do about this? How do I deal with this partner? I want to get promoted. I want to get on the right projects. I'm not happy. What can I do about it? And I always, that was always my favorite bit of the day. But until I got that insight and the, you know, the sort of coaching framework around it and being asked the right questions in the right way, it just hadn't clicked in my mind. So I knew I was unhappy, but I didn't, know why and I didn't really know I felt really trapped so coaching really opened my eyes in that way showed me a different way of being Um,
0: and that was just a couple of sessions yeah
1: it really started I mean I can't I think I've worked with that coach for maybe nine months to a year but fairly spread out in the sessions so maybe has six or eight sessions over that time and in that we kind of figured out I had this thing about people. I also figured out I had a passion about the environment and being responsible in the world and trying to be sustainable. Um, my coach, she helped me to put together some experiments and try some different things. So I, I kind of followed up on the um, social good thing and got involved with Delight's corporate social responsibility program, did some work on that, didn't quite press my buttons. I also tried... Um, becoming a um mediator um so i did some training on that at uc berkeley where my wife was um it was good but it didn't again it didn't quite click for me Hmm. Uh, i didn't didn't really like being in the middle of two people who were very adversarial and wanted to rip each other straight so and then one day i remember i had the sort of you know the first penny drop that i had was i really love people and i love helping them to you know, be the best that they can be the second one was sitting with my coach one day and thinking and I actually she said to her wait a minute you get paid to do this right she's like yeah <laughs> you know I do and that's I sort of saw suddenly there's this possibility that this could be the way that I make a living and it seemed like a very remote possibility at that point but I, on the back of that I went and signed up for a um, coach training which I you know, did off my own bat paid for myself just to see what it was like um and yeah again i I walked up on the first day sat down in my chair and within five minutes i was like wow this is awesome (laughs) i'm in the right place right Uh, great trainers. it was the right course at the right time and it just really turned me on yeah and
0: uh, where were you studying in in san francisco presumably or in california somewhere
1: yeah in the Bay Area. With IPEC, who are um, an ICF accredited school, and it was great. Like one of my teachers was an MCC, so she was really experienced. She was a bit of a one of them was a total hard ass, and the other one was like really into acknowledgement and validation. (laughs) Um, So they had a lovely sort of creason as well in terms of the the way they went about training and developing people. But I just really thrived in that environment. I loved it, and you know, very quickly there was. It was like being infatuated. It was like I was in lust with coaching. Right, I wanted to coach everybody. I was coaching taxi drivers and barista and you know, the, like unsuspecting members of the public were getting the you know my uh, fairly clumsy coaching wisdom or <laughs> approach at that point. But it, you know, suddenly my brain was sparring all over the place. Um, I went back into my job and started coaching teams and individuals within my group and my organization i was just i just had the bug
0: yeah and i'm, I'm just struck by you know it's partly the way you, we've we've told the story but the difference between the brain firing all over the place with taxi drivers and in the in the coach training and that moment with um, cheryl and the wine right so it's yeah. like what a difference and and how long was that in terms of actual time it sounds like there was some work involved in that you know you put work in to reflect to get to, to get from one of those points to the other I mean, it's probably about
1: be- between a year and eighteen months.
0: Yeah. Because
1: at the back end of my IPAC training, my in-house delight coach tipped me off that they had two new jobs coming up in the, in her team, and I thought, why not go for it? Yeah. And then, as it turned out, four hundred people applied for those two jobs, and by the grace of God yeah I remember going through the interview process and I got to like the final round of interviews and I had to say to them look you realize that I'm not a professional coach I haven't even finished my qualification I don't have a, like a single hour of professional coaching experience and I think they actually like that but <laughs> I was honest about that um so I ended up getting one of those jobs and becoming an in-house yeah. coach and joining my former coach as her colleague which was just
0: unbelievable so that was probably about 18 month arc to do all of yeah. that but so because when we look back on these things it, it looks like luck and of course there's luck in it but what do you think they were they they were choosing between 400 people and they only chose two I think you'll. find why that, did they choose you I think you'll find that I never use the word luck Robbie <laughs> okay nice nice good so what was it
1: um so I guess from a there are two sides to it. I think it's often useful to break it down. From a logical side, yeah, I've been in the business for 10 years. I've worked in I think, three different departments. I've worked in two different countries. I was a senior manager with quite a lot of experience of running projects. So as a coach within Delight, that made me very credible immediately because all of my clients were people with a similar story. And actually... Yeah, I'd been through the coaching process and I'd found an answer that helped me to stay within the business and successfully use my strengths and skills. And that was the job I was applying for. So I was effectively the perfect kind of advert for my future, for my potential client base in that job. So that's the logical side. Yeah, I think the other side is the kind of passion, emotional side. I was obviously you know, in that phase of in, in being infatuated with coaching. I loved it. And I was busy coaching the hell out of anybody who I could meet, you know. So I was taking on a bunch of internal clients within my group. I went to India to coach a team there, like manage and coach a team for a couple of months. And I kind of rewrote my CV to make it look like I've been coaching since I was in nappies. Um, you know, every experience I reframed in light of developing people, you know, being a, a mentor, being a counselor, even doing that informal kind of agony uncle stuff, I found a way to bring the value out in that because I was just so passionate and so, you know, I really, really wanted that job.
0: Yeah. Uh, and it's it's one of those things, isn't it? I think sometimes people are nervous to do that, but it's true. That's, you know, you had done those things and you just needed to join those dots for them so that they could go, oh, wow, he does have both the logical stuff and this amazing passion.
1: I think, that, I think that's right. Yeah. There's also... And this is a this is a small side note, but from a motivational standpoint, in the US, I was only allowed to be in the US because my, my visa was sponsored by Deloitte. So if I wanted to be a professional coach in and stay in the US, literally this was the only job that I could have that would allow me to do that. I couldn't set up my own business, I couldn't go and work with somebody else and be a coach because my visa was all about being employed by Deloitte. So it was literally the the only job that I could get that would allow me to do what I wanted to do. So I was like, I'm
0: going to, yeah, if I'm going to roll the dice, I'm going to damn well roll the dice as well as possible. Right. Um, and presumably, it, you, you know, is this right? Your wife was at university at Berkeley. And so you didn't want to leave, right? Because she was going to still be there for a while.
1: Well, she, she'd actually graduated, but she had a great uh, job. Um, also, we had loads of friends. We had a fantastic lifestyle. We were happy where we were. We were, you know, the Bay Area, is, San Francisco is a pretty amazing place to live, especially when you in your twenties and got a bit of disposable income, so I was like, "I really, really want to do this." Other, and otherwise, it was like still in the old job, even though I was enjoying that a whole lot more. So I guess that that just really, you know, if you think about what motivates clients when you work with them, sometimes feeling a bit like you're in last chance saloon gives you that push to really go for stuff. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that probably helped too
0: Yeah, and so then you had this job, which is an amazing opportunity, and you spent uh, how long coaching people in Deloitte and what was the work like and who were you speaking to and what did you learn?
1: Yeah, I was an in-house coach for just over a year in that group. Um, and I split my time, probably half my time was doing uh, kind of career change work. So effectively working with uh, yeah a version of Phil before the transition, people who were in delight but weren't quite happy with where they were, weren't using their skills to the most effect, and helping them figure out how can I be happier, where's a better place for me, how do I make the most of my potential. So probably about half of that. You know, in the first two weeks after I joined the coaching team, they gave me 50, that's five zero new clients. <laughs> I went from being a professional coach with no experience to having 50 clients, like, overnight... <laughs> Which is crazy. Um, and then on the other side of it, I was doing some leadership development work. So working with senior managers who were stepping up to partnership, working with newer partners who wanted to build a business and a practice and helping them figure out their plan for the next few years, what their goals were and then how they could take the right steps and develop the skills they needed to, to make that transition to grow their business. So that there's a lovely balance of work that I had. and um, you know, as a new coach, it gave me sort of two areas of insight and skill, sort of you know ways of helping uh, straight off the bat. So it was it was a really fabulous job, and I had a great team around me. Experienced coaches who gave me a lot of support and mentorship. We had robust feedback in place and all, you know, everything you need to develop. Wow. I had um, wow, an opportunity. It was a great opportunity. Although I've got to say, you know, having been in that phase of lust and wanting to coach everybody in sight, I reached the point after, you know, a few months where I literally was flat on the floor because I was you know, coaching these 50 clients, doing eight, 10 sessions a day, every day, because I was loving it so much. And I was taking, you know, as a new coach, you often end up probably overtaking responsibility for your client's outcomes. So I was really you know, desperate for my clients to do well and wanting them to like me and prove myself to my team and so I ended up not being able to sleep at night and thinking about my clients all the time probably doing a bit too much for them all the things that you do as a new coach so I kind of learned some lessons along the way I mean it was a great year but it wasn't all you know it's the cakewalk there were some real tricky moments and tough learning in there as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a, two two things just jumped out at me then. One is it's interesting given, you know, because I know a bit about how your business has changed over the years. You had the career change side and the leadership side from the start.
1: Get that, yeah.
0: But also it's interesting, and certainly this resonates with me, that a lot of people come to coaching partly because uh, whatever they were doing before wasn't working. Um, and then certainly I, and it sounds like you, ran into some of the – like the reasons that it wasn't working weren't all because of the old job, right? And there's something here about, you know, some of those same things being flat on the floor happening again with the coaching.
1: I'd say it was a a very different reason and kind of underlying factor. Before, it was just the conditions didn't fit with my values and that slowly ground me down. Now I was absolutely in a world that was aligned with my values. But I was so enthusiastic and so determined to get, you know, help my clients and get great outcomes for them that I was loading a lot of the responsibility and mm. too much of it onto me. You know, remember I just literally was finishing up my coach training. Mm-hmm. And there's so much you learn over the years as a coach about, you know, where you draw the the boundaries between and who does what in <laughs> coaching and where the you know, where the responsibility lies. But you know, I literally wanted to you know, smash it with every single client. And so I'd always be thinking about them and carrying them around with me all the time. And that's just not, you know, with fifty you can't carry fifty people around in your head all the time because (laughs) you go completely balmy after a while. Um so you know, in some ways I I was drinking from the fire hose and after a while that's that's unsustainable, right?
0: Right right and so, and so then you know what happened next did you manage to fix that while still at deloitte and at what and then at some point you obviously well i know this listeners may not came back to the uk
1: so yeah i did start i definitely started to fix it it was important because i kind of recognized that by yeah number one by taking too much responsibility for the clients outcomes that's not in the, always in the client's best interest, because actually the whole point of coaching is to create a partnership where the client takes responsibility for their outcomes and learns how to be self-managing, self-generating, and able to, to work on their own to solve their problems. So I quickly recognized that I hadn't got the balance quite right, I started to, to work on that, which takes
0: time. And to like go can you, do you uh, if you can without you know holding the confidentiality as as, as as skillfully as you can can you give us an example of how you were taking too much responsibility was it just the mental headspace with the practical things
1: no it's mental headspace and yeah sometimes I'd be like offering to go and talk to people on their behalf or doing research for them and yeah coming up with all sorts of Kind of all sorts of ways that I could take action on their behalf in order to help them get that move that they were looking for within the organisation or to help them win some business or whatever. You know, I was just going too far in terms of wanting to take, doing the, the action that they should actually be taking um, as well as having the headspace. And I'm, I'm not saying I was like, for every single client, I was doing all the work for them, but I just, like the balance wasn't quite right, I would say.
0: And if you had to name that balance now, you know, for a time when you can see something that a client can't or you've got an idea, how do you manage that now, years later?
1: Um, so I think it, it comes down to, you know, in the, in the partnership of coaching, you can co-create solutions. I like the, I really like the word co-creation. I think that's really important. So, yeah. As an ex- now much more experienced coach, because you know this was all in 2007, so now you know sort of 12, 13 years into being a professional coach, yeah, what I've come to realise is, as a coach, I don't believe I'm just a I'm not just a Socratic mirror. So I'm not just reflecting things back to people. I'm also a living, breathing human being, and so co-creation is an important word, and partnership is also an important word. Yeah, I've got lots of experience in the world, and. I've got ideas and a good strategic brain in my head. It's the ability to share some of those ideas in a way that is additive to the co-creation through suggestion, through brainstorming through bouncing ideas around. but what I've learned I' really learned early on is not to be attached to my to what I'm putting into the mix and also to be conscious of making sure that whatever the solution that the client ultimately lands on and the action that they commit to, making sure that that's very clearly their outcome and something that they have come up with and bought into. So there's that, you know, you, you know, after a while you I learned to just watch myself and not be tied to my ideas and thinking that they're the ones that are going to solve the client's problems and that's a very it's an easy trap to fall into when you're a, a young coach because you talk to somebody for 20 minutes and you think ha, this is what you need to do and you know, now I've become a lot more patient take a lot more time but yeah I really like the art of suggestion being able to say what about this how about that how would things be different if you looked at it from this perspective you know What would happen if you tried this? And that gives the client the perfectly legitimate option to say, no, that wouldn't work. It's bullshit. It's a terrible idea. still moves the conversation forward, but not being attached to that, I can let go of it completely and and move on.
0: Yeah, I've started um, including that as part of my contracting, basically, especially when I meet people early on. It's really explicitly saying, it's wonderful. If I make a suggestion or offer something, know that I'm doing it without attachment and to help you. And it's wonderful if you say, no, you've, you've completely missed the mark, Robbie. Yeah, that right. is incredibly wrong. And that's a great moment when people do that because stuff always comes from it. Yeah, now you,
1: know, you kind of develop the confidence and the hopefully humility to realise that you're not always right. It doesn't right. matter. You're yeah. just there to be a catalyst in the co-creation. So I think that you know, now I can see my role much more clearly as that.
0: Yeah. And so I guess it feels like the next moment in the journey is probably when you transition when you come back to the UK. When did that when did that happen? How long you've been coaching in Deloitte? Uh was it just for family reasons or lifestyle reasons that you came back? What what happened next?
1: Yeah, so I did as I said I did that role for about a year. It was terrific. I got great feedback.
0: Roughly how many over that year was it 50 people or how, roughly how many people do you think you coached and how I many did hours that. did you rack up? I
1: did About two hundred and fifty to three hundred clients, and I think it was north of a, maybe somewhere north of a thousand, twelve hundred hours. Whoa! It was a fairly intense year, and then lots of lots of workshops and other stuff as well. So I was I was busting some hump. Yeah, really was, but it was an, an amazing year. I grew so much in every dimension, and yeah, and then basically we. We had decided, my wife and I, that we wanted to start a family, have kids, and although we love San Francisco, felt like doing that back in the UK, where we're both from, nearer to our families, would be the right place for us. Um, just so we had a support system to help us. Um, hopefully, as we sort of stumble into the, the journey, um, my sister-in-law and her husband had just had a baby, so. We also were kind of drawn by that. They were back in London. So we decided it was time to to move back, which was hard in some ways for me, because I'm like, I've just got my dream job doing the thing that I love doing. I'm being paid really well for it. You know, I don't think I I honestly can put my hand on my heart and say, I don't think I've had a year in coaching where I made more money than that first year. Oh well. Wow. <laughs> because I was getting a proper like Deloitte professional services senior manager US salary to do that job. So in some ways it was completely bonkers to leave that job.
0: But also it must've just changed your, I imagine it must've just changed your feeling about the value of coaching to have that because so many coaches really struggle with that struggle to imagine that this thing that they're doing, which often comes incredibly natural to them because it's a load of their strengths getting used. So it feels easy some of the time at least, or some of it does is worth the money that people will pay. You know, it's like that thing, but all I'm doing is talking to them. And I love this. Why should I get paid? But you'd had this thing where here's this money, and we think it's really worth you doing this. Even though you don't have any experience, we can see that you will do this really well, and we'll pay you this money for it. So, let alone a year later when you've got a 1,000 plus hours, and uh, what do you say, like 300, 250, 300 people? Yeah, you're right. I guess it,
1: it was really, it, it gave me a triangulation to really see the, the value of coaching. Because as you said, I was being really well financially rewarded for it. But I kind of knew that because my coach had also right. been in the situation. So I guess that my first experience was, here's a coach who's been paid really well and it's being valued. So I guess that, that was a really useful grounding for me. Then I got that experience myself. And then yeah, I had my own journey, this 18-month transition and the support that I got, which I could not have done without support of my coach so I saw the value as a client you know it's worth all the tea in China to me it, it was a, you know, a totally life-changing transformational experience not just in terms of the on the surface career change that I made but also yeah, it put me on the pathway to self-awareness self-understanding I really hadn't had any of that before I started engaging with coaching so it, it put me on a journey of personal growth as well which has probably been even more invaluable than the, the, the surface level change. So I saw the value as a client, and then I also had these three hundred, you know, three hundred people um, who were telling me this is amazing and it's changing my life. So I guess I saw it from all the angles. Mm. So to me, it's like, yeah, this thing is really valuable. And. Um, Of course it is. What
0: else would it be? Yeah, of course people would pay me this money to do it, right? Can can everyone not see how valuable it is? And clearly Deloitte could. Yeah, and then fast, fast forward to London
1: in January 2009 when I just set up my new business from scratch and it's the middle of a big recession and I'm pitching my first prospective client and absolutely shitting my pants, like literally, don't know how to sell, terrified, you know feeling the pressure that I'd gotten zero income coming in because I just started a new business from scratch, and suddenly that whole foundation that I was talking about
0: yeah. felt a little bit more shaky to be honest, Robbie, <laughs> right because you had all the all the experience that anyone after a year could have of coaching and the value of it, but at this point you had no experience of running a business I mean you had some you had lots of business experience from deloitte yeah. and other other jobs, I'm sure, but this thing sitting down across from someone and saying, please pay me." X pounds so, for this coaching
1: yes yeah, still a different thing really a terrifying experience and suddenly i felt a lot of pressure
0: yeah and, and what there probably was some pressure right you need you needed to make some money I, you know i guess we all um, at those points yeah, we know we're investing in a business and that kind of thing but you still need to make some money that especially in always, london
1: it is always helpful to make some money at work. <laughs> yeah. um it's important um yeah luckily my wife had a had a job at that point, so it wasn't like we were starving um, and out on the street. But you know, it's important to make some money. But it's also, you know, it's no use having a coaching practice with no clients, right? <laughs> like, what at that point, what are you doing? You know, and the answer for me, for a little while when I first started and had no clients, was so kind of feeling sorry for myself, sitting at home watching Bargain Hunt. <laughs> And kind of trying to avoid the situation and avoid looking at the fact that, hey, at the moment, this is really tough. Like, you know, the first thing I did when I started my business, I tried to go on the leadership development side of things. You know, it seemed like on, on paper, you know, I had a background in professional services, you know, 10 years experience actually working in it. I'd spent a year doing training courses and also you know, supporting and coaching leaders in Deloitte around growing their business and developing their skills. It seemed like it was that was a fairly no-brainer proposition. I also had some connections in London in the professional services world. And I went around to, you know, I literally put on my shiny suit and shoes, big smile, went around to talk to everybody. And one by one, they all said, Phil, it's the biggest recession in human history. You know, as you know, we're laying people off hand over fist. Our budget for leadership development has been slashed, and you know, sorry, you started your business last week, and we got some really good providers. And like if you come to us in the, in the good times, no problem. We would, we, you know, we like you. You're a nice guy, and you obviously have some credibility, but we can't give you any work right now. So that fell flat on its backside, and that was tough, like really tough, because I come home like with all this great reviews and this wonderful team and momentum. And then suddenly I couldn't sell for shit. Like literally, it was a nightmare. And that business just, it wasn't there. Yeah. So I had to, you know, I either had to sort of sit and feel sorry for myself, which I can have a tendency to do, or try something different. Um, and in the end, after a bit of soul searching, I realised that maybe there was something on the career side of things, which is, you know, it as you said, it's lucky that I had the two elements. Um, so I, I kind of, yeah, I talked to lots of people who were uh, being laid off from professional services jobs and you know more generally as the economy was contracting, you know, being made redundant. I talked to also lots of people who were, uh, I, I knew lots of people in those worlds, professional services, financial services, who'd done a similar thing to me and gone into that pathway because it seemed like the best thing to do at the time but actually were not very happy or fulfilled so i could see kind of two motivating factors for people who potentially might want some career coaching and luckily i you know my brain was agile enough to to give that a go so that that really was you know my salvation in
0: those moments yeah and do you remember you know obviously it all looks very thought through. Looking back, our memories often do. But uh, you know, you're saying right that there's there's periods of sitting watching Bargain Hunt, there's soul searching. Do you remember what it was that, like, how you got into action on those things and what made the difference at that phase? Because it feels like that's an important phase. You might have given up and got a financial services job or tried to, right, at that point or something else.
1: What was it? That's a good, really good question, Robbie. Um, yeah, I guess at this point. I'd gone from like the loss phase in the coaching to kind of like the, you know, the sort of first happy newlyweds. You know, after a year of doing it, was, it's was like I just got married and I was walking on a cloud of coaching, and I kind of loved it. And so I didn't want to like break up the relationship at that point and go crawling back to my kind of you know evil ex, who you know in terms of like the accounting, like I just that just didn't feel. Like the, you know, that emotional side of me that loved it so much was like I'm not prepared to give up on this even though it's a you know, it's like it's like my first rocky patch in the relationship with coaching if we're doing the tenuous metaphor yeah. but you know luckily when you're new newly married most people don't give up after like six months right they kind of realize that you actually it's not the end of the world and yeah you know, sometimes you know it's useful being a coach because a lot of the time I think you You've got to take your own medicine. So I probably had a moment where I looked at myself from the perspective of, if I was coaching me, what would I be thinking and saying to myself? And, you know, I'd probably be asking some fairly pointed questions at that point about, well, how hard are you actually trying? What's the value of you sitting at home all day ruminating? How likely is that that it's going to help you to actually find some clients? You know. If you are struggling with turning prospects into clients, what could you do to make it uh, to, to make it easier for you to do that and So I started to answer some of those questions for myself and go, oh, maybe I should actually be going out there and talking to people. Maybe I should actually you know, watch them on you know read some blogs and watch them online, learning about how to do a sales process. Maybe I should read some books about how to build a business and actually do some of those things. And maybe I should do some marketing and work out what kind of things actually work in order to build a business. And um, so I think I, and I actually also had a friend who was a coach in the um, Deloitte coaching team We left around the same time and started her business. And we started co-coaching each other as well. So as well as coaching myself, I also had her on my case every week asking me these similar questions and kicking me up the bum and stopping me fe- from feeling sorry for myself and risking giving up. So it was, ha- you know, it was having that sort of inner passion, but it was also having some external support that got me through that.
0: Yeah, and, and I think, you know, actually, I think the, I think the metaphor is pretty good because I got married last year, right? And one of the things that you uh-huh. think about when you get married is, one of the things that changes is, ah, oh, okay, well, we're in this now. Yeah, And we're in it actually forever. That's the promise we're making. And it's, you know, uh, my brother gave a speech at the wedding, and one of the things he said is marriage is about shackling yourselves to each other for when you both feel like running away. <laughs> um, and, it's you know, he obviously was apologizing a little bit for saying that at a wedding, but it was great. Like, every the whole room dropped down because it's like, oh, yeah, that is what this is about because yeah. we all will feel like running away. And I think that's a really good metaphor for business because – it is hard. There will be dark times and difficult times. And you, had, you did have a choice at that point. And, but because you were that committed to coaching, it held you there and made you, instead of running away, made you go, okay, if I'm not going to run away, this is, I think, what marriage probably does as well. If I'm not going to run away, then what? And the then what was, okay, learn about business, learn about selling, get some support from my friends, you know, turn my ability to help people on myself and then see what happens.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the big things in the in marriage and a, a sort of long term relationship is commitment. Mm. Commitment takes some hard work, it takes some discipline, and it takes some exertion. So I also started to build myself up to really put those things in place as well. Like, you know, as you said, I think a lot a lot of people coming into coaching who absolutely love the Delivery of coaching and being with a client and seeing the magic happen. So I've assumed that that's enough to get you a, a successful business. And probably I fell into that trap a little bit too. Like I remember somebody, one of my friends asking me when I started my business, So, you know, who are your target market? What, what niche are you going to operate in? Um, and I said, Well, there's seven billion people in the world and everybody's got problems. How hard can it be, right? Everybody's a target, everybody's a target client. And I, you know, I look back on that. That was the most naive, effing stupid thing that anybody could ever think. It's so far away from the truth of how you can build a successful business, because that's just, you know, what are you going to do? Like wander around like I was doing when I was in lust, coaching
0: taxi drivers and baristas, right? It's madness. But so, okay, well then, t- tell tell me about that. Take take us through what. Because we, we, you know, you and I know that the one of the ends of the story is you built a successful coaching business in London and you built it starting in 2009. And so what did you learn from those videos and the blogs and the coaching and how did you grow that business? So I guess you know, for context, and we'll come on to this, I'm now
1: in the middle of probably building my, I probably categorize it as my second coaching practice and my third business. So the first business that I built was a career coaching business. And what I found out from you know doing all the work, doing the reading and actually taking taking some action and doing some marketing, business development, learning to sell, it, you know, the big thing I found out is if you want to sell coaching, at the time, everybody was saying you need to have a niche, a clearly defined niche. So... I found that really useful because it took me from seven billion people down to let's see if we can find a group of people who have a problem that they need to solve. This is now, you know, mainly coach entrepreneurs who are building businesses. That's the premise for a business, right? Like you need to find a product or service or solution to help people who have a problem solve that problem in some way, you know. And so, coaching is no different from that. so I identified this group of people who were probably very similar to me in their late twenties to mid thirties who had gone into the professional world and become a banker or a lawyer or an accountant doing something which from my perspective, having got out of it is very dull and tedious and doesn't necessarily play to their strengths. Some people go and be a lawyer and they love it and that's great, but there are a lot of people and you know, Anybody who's been out in the world will meet people who've done those jobs and been really unhappy in them. Uh, so you've got this group of people who are unhappy and not doing something that really, you know, fits with their values, plays to their, their great attributes and and allows them to do something that feels impactful. So they've got a problem, right? Because as I know from my story that we've talked about, it can make you really unhappy, unfulfilled, um, so that's
0: the starting point. Like you've got a problem that can be solved, and and one of the questions that, that coaches are always because there's still that wisdom. That wisdom. I'm actually going to put air quotes on it, right? Yeah. That, that you have to have a niche. Not, every, not everybody uh, says that these days, but most people, a lot of people, but, still but, do. but a lot of people still do. And so the question that always comes back is, well, how do you find that? Because we can all draw a line around a group of people, and we probably all draw a line around a group of people with a problem. But there are a million, you know, well, if we've got seven and nearly eight billion people now, there's probably, I don't know infinite ways of drawing circles around people with problems. So how did you, it sounds like part of it was the experience you had. Part of it was the opportunity you saw because of the recession. And just because like you say, if you, especially if you're in a city like London, you meet a bunch of people. If you socialize who do those jobs, who it doesn't fire their souls. Uh, and most jobs have that, but oh, so, um, yeah, what, sorry, did
1: you do? On what I would say is I think I did what a lot of, people who set up successful coaching practices do to find their niche, which is look at what am I most credible and relatable for in terms of how my niche will see me. So generally speaking, people setting up their first coaching niche will very often gravitate to something that
0: they themselves have successfully done. Essentially a bit like you coaching themselves of what in this case, two years ago or three years ago. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, because if you're saying to somebody you're a professional you're stuck in the in this miserable rut and you can't get out i was you three years ago and now look at me i've got my own business and i'm doing stuff that i love and what helped me to get there is coaching that puts you in that position where people are think well this guy must have some idea what he's talking about because he's actually done what i want to do so i think that you know that helped me to land on this as this is a a viable niche yeah i had experience in professional services so a lot of my original a lot of my first clients that i got as a career coach came
0: from professional services because i also had some connection network there so that's obvious as well you know and how did you find those people how did we get to those once you've got the niche where do the people come from
1: so you know obviously like i said i had a quite a big network within professional services because I worked in that field for 10 years. So I went around and told everybody I knew in professional services, this is what I'm doing now.
0: A bunch of coffees around different parts yeah. of the city, emails or what kind of things?
1: Um, yeah, coffee, coffees with people in London. I still have connections in California. Turns out you can do coaching on the telephone and by Skype, which is useful. So I ended up getting a lot of clients in the States as well. Um, yeah, just saying to people, look, my... I kind of realized after a few months of doing this, that I wanted to become, you know, if somebody in professional services was sitting with their colleague and they were whining about how miserable they were and they wish they'd never got into it in the first place and they wish they could find something that they'd love to do, which happens quite a lot in professional services, I wanted to be the first person that came to mind for the receiver of that information in that mm. conversation. And they say, you should, you should talk to Phil. Because he
0: and that basically happened, right?
1: That basically did happen. I mean, not to say that it happened in every conversation, but I, you know, by having a clear niche and having messages around these are the kind of people I help and these are the results that I get. And actually, you know, having some success stories already from the Deloitte days, which was useful. But even, you know, I would say even if you don't have that in your background as a new coach, once you've done one or two clients you've got a success story. You don't need to have 50. You need a couple of good ones because uh, you know, when you talk about them, you'll talk about the same ones over and over again anyway, your best, you know, your favorite best clients.
0: Well, and I also think that's quite good. It's good to do that. Even if you've got 50, it's good to talk about the two best ones because those are the ones you most want more of.
1: Exactly. So, you know, by spreading the word, by talking about the success stories, Yeah, you know, I also did a, like I said, I read some books on how to build a business. So what else did I do? I wrote a blog for a few years about career change, um, which and I did lots of stuff to try and promote the blog around the world, um, you know, build up some network. That wasn't particularly effective, but it, I, I think all of that was on my website. So when people came to look, it made me look like I was an expert on career change. Um, one thing that worked really well um there was this whole kind of theory around how do you, how do you find out where your niche group of people are getting their information from and talking to each other? And one of the things that was suggested was finding organizations that also speak to the same niche. So I found a website called escape the city, which was just launched, launched in 2008, which basically had all the same messages that I had. It was saying, look, These city jobs can be very boring for some people. We've got, and they were a job board, we have a bunch more really interesting jobs that we'll post and, you know, come to us. They also started running events to help people get out of the city and, you know, live a better, more interesting life. I met the two guys who founded that. We had coffee in the kitchen of one of their their parents' house because they were sort of Dossing in there at that time in order to get the money to run the business and build it up and they, I mean they've been very successful they're great guys and we sat at bananas and drank coffee and I kind of said look you've got a bunch of people who want to get out I know how to do it what if I run a coaching service on behalf of you for your readership base and you, pr- you promote me to them and they said okay sounds like a good deal so we sort of shook hands on the spot and that partnership Really got me a lot of profile. They got me. They went from having when I met them, I think they had ten thousand subscribers. Over the next year, they went to having hundred thousand subscribers to their newsletter, and they put me in front of all of those people pretty much every week. So suddenly, I had a really nice pipeline of people coming to me from that partnership, right in my demographic, already with some credibility from that partnership because they like to skate the city. I mean, they're just great guys, and they've got a great ethos, and they were kind of building a movement. And, you know, with a very clear need, you know, they were coming to me exactly because they wanted what I was selling. So, yeah, I tried a bunch of other stuff for marketing as well. That was the one that really stuck for me and helped me out big time. And, yeah, it, I wouldn't say I was trying paint at the wall, but that, the blog didn't really work, but it built me some credibility. I did a lot of talks and speeches and training sessions. I'm not sure they really helped all that much. So I never got much business out of that. I literally tried doing like um, you know, open house coaching in coffee shops where anybody who, want, who wanted to do a career change could book a session with me. They didn't really work. But it was it was trying a bunch of different things and it was moving into that discipline, proactive space of building a business, of saying, right, this month, these are the three things I'm going to do in order to you know, build a pipeline of clients. I'm going to write a blog. I'm going to do something for Escape the City, you know, to community, like build that practice and I'm gonna do the coffee shop coaching and then actually following through and doing it. But what happened is I started to get a pipeline. I did some training on how to sell and convert and went from being completely hopeless to being like marginally hopeless to being okay to being quite good <laughs> over time. You know, that that's an art form in itself.
0: Yeah and, and, ma- so- and maybe we should we should get to that uh shortly, but it feels like that because I think that's another really important part. And of this. And it sounds like of what you learned, but yeah, it sounds like you tried a lot of different things, but the real thing that made the difference was all these people being sent your way, people who had that getting in front of the people who you wanted to help. And I, and I guess that's the thing I want to check actually, like how much, cause you've spoken about this from uh, quite the strategic part of you, not so much that enthusiastic part of you that was probably just as important as getting you the deloitte job, how much were you loving this work at that time? Was it kind of oh, I need to do this to to get it to get the business going or it was like you were back in the out of the rocky patch in the relationship
1: uh, no i mean to to get back in, to get the relationship back in a good place, I needed to be coaching and I wanted to be coaching because I knew that as soon as I had you know, a portfolio of clients again. I will be doing good work for them, and yeah, you know, the IPEC coach training that I did was all about energy. I'm I'm a massive believer in energy. You know, when you've got positive momentum and you're helping clients, like when I walk out of a really good coaching session, I'm full of energy. I, it it builds me up. It makes me, and it also gives me a real sense of you know, self worth. And value, and and for me, it lifts up my confidence. Especially at that time when I'd been like in a pretty tricky spot. Suddenly, there was a bit of wind in my sails again, and I could see. Yeah, it's not like it happened overnight, but I could see the business building. I could see, you know, happy clients. And then, you know, what really sort of seals it, and 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 I'll talk about this later. But I'm, I'm kind of on. Nearly there with my second journey of building my second business is when you start to get referrals right from from people you've worked with in the past, from current clients, and from people who just know of you, and they you, you get that, you should talk to Phil, the effect that I was looking for, and people start appearing in your inbox, where right? it's like, right. you worked with John last year, he said you were amazing, and I'm miserable and stuck in my job, and I really want you to help me. And then you have those conversations. And once you get your practice to the point where you're consistently getting referrals in your pipeline, that whole sales process is massively easier. Because if you've got somebody random who's never heard of you before, you've got to do the whole work of building credibility and getting them to believe that you can solve their problem. And obviously, the blog and the escape the city thing help you to do that. When you've got somebody who's coming on a direct recommendation of their friend or their brother or their, you know, partner or you know, their boss like when you sit down and have the conversation with them they already want to buy from you because they they've got living social proof from somebody else that it works and that someone they can see that other person's life has been changed by the work that they've done with you so suddenly yeah after a year to 18 months i'd say of you know, having gone through that, a couple of months of despair, a year to eighteen months of grafting and discipline and working hard and trying these different things and niching down, I suddenly had a living, breathing business that was starting to generate enough referrals to pretty much feed itself. And so that, you know, it wasn't like it wasn't like it was all plain sailing, but it, I kind of woke up one day and went, oh, okay, now I can actually get on with." You. Being in love with coaching again. Uh.
0: And so, you know, on a really practical level, I, I, you know, I think, you know, that I agree that I think that that moment when you realize that, oh, it's basically. Feeding itself now is a you know it's a it's a wonderful moment, and I really get the sigh. That's so good. I can kind of yeah. feel that as well. But what were the practical things that you? So, so one of the things you can do to get more referrals is do great work, right? Mm-hmm. Were there any other practical things that you did to encourage referrals to help you get to that point where it was feeding itself? I'd say probably
1: single most effective tactic that, that I did, and this is. I wouldn't even say it's a tactic. Yeah, It's something that I was kind of doing naturally, but I realised was really working. Yeah. I was always interested in my clients' stories after they finished with the career change, career strategy piece. And I always want, you know, a lot of them I wanted to stay in touch with anyway to find out what happened next in the story. Because you kind of...
0: Yeah, because tell us a bit about, I mean, just briefly how you worked with those people when you were, after you developed, presumably it was experiment, testing things out at first, but you knew something from Deloitte and you had some ideas from yourself. What was the typical engagement like when you were in that business?
1: So typical engagement was six to eight session package, which would take you through a process to say, let's figure out who you are, what you're good at, what you like doing. Let's look at all of the options and the different choices that you might have with a very open mind. Let's figure out which ones might be viable pathways and where they might take you let's try and choose one or two of those pathways that really work and then let's help you put together kind of the resources collateral story and actually go and take some action to start practically start the change and so i do those sessions over somewhere between some people were really speedy and wanted to do it in three months some people would take a year over it in order to get from kind of beginning to end but my clients would walk away with, here's my vision for the next five years of what I want from my career. Here's a sort of rough pathway or pathways that I might take in order to get there. And then maybe out ideally making the change or have actually made the first change happen.
0: Yeah.
1: And yeah, you know, I just had some extraordinary transformations of people who went and started businesses, who completely changed industry, role, everything under the sun. I mean, it's kind of extraordinary once you get into it, the the range of transitions that people made. And the underlying connection is that they were always finding something which was more meaningful, more impactful, better fit with their life overall, bringing them joy and and pleasure in the day-to-day delivery of work. And sometimes in that first step, they weren't hitting all those things perfectly but it would, they could see the progression as well so they knew why they were doing what they were doing
0: did, did <laughs> you, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, what what was your sorry I don't, I don't know why it's taken me a little while to get this question the thought that just crossed my mind is you know i know sitting with clients and i've done work with people who are changing careers it's you know that that description you gave of what people are after is so Evocative, right? Who wouldn't want that? And so, if you do coaching, you, I think you almost always end up doing some work with people on what you've just described. But I'm also remembering—I mean—moments in engagements, r- rather than whole engagements. But just this feeling of like, oh shit, what if it's not going to happen for this person? What if this person is going to be stuck here forever? Did you have that? And if so, how did you kind of hold that and and work through that with clients who I imagine felt it themselves a lot? Sometimes that's what happens too.
1: So I'll be honest with you. That, is, that was always my favorite bit of the whole engagement. So for me, yeah, remember, career wasn't necessarily my first choice of niche because I tried to start a different you know, leadership business before. What I'm really passionate about, what I always love from my coach training from the very beginning is getting under the skin of people, figuring out what's going on um, in their inner world you know, what really motivates them? What are the inner barriers or obstacles? How What's their psychology? How is their brain programmed to enable or not enable them to be successful? And what can you do about that? And so for me, I was always hoping that this would come up in every engagement. I used to call it, I always used to warn people, like once I got got this process of six or eight sessions, I'd always say to people, somewhere the first few sessions, you'll feel terrific. There'll be loads of momentum because it's all quite theoretical, and you'll be thinking about who you are and what you could do, and it's possibility and it's magical. Somewhere in the middle, you'll get this like reality check where your you know, your bum will hit the floor, and it'll suddenly start to look hard again because you, once you start to narrow down to this is what I could actually do, the you know the part of your brain that wants security and safety and fears change is going to
0: kick in. Right. And, and and often I guess the that part of the brain is why the, the whatever happens at that point is what why the person hasn't made the change by themselves in the first place, right? Exactly,
1: Robbie. Yeah. Exactly. That's why people often hire coaches, because if they could do it by themselves, they would do it by themselves, right? Yeah. And what
0: i what I've found, because I, I remember you saying that. To me when I was starting out or training. And I found that even as my engagements have got longer, involving far more sessions, that point, halfway, three quarters of the way, two thirds of the way through, still happens. You know, it gets really hard for people. And, you know, yeah, it doesn't always feel good, but often that's where the magic happens.
1: And let's be clear like, pretty much every human being has those inner barriers to change, those. You know, embedded subconscious programs that hold us back, that voice of you know, criticism, the, the inner critic that comes out and holds us in place, and um, those are the, you know those insidious things are the the obstacles that stop people from achieving their full potential. And coaching is all about helping people achieve their full potential. So this, to me, the surface level change of the career from X to Y, although it's really impressive and looks fabulous and is a good story. It's what is it that stopped people from doing that under their own steam? And that consistently came out somewhere in that engagement. Yeah, that's and I think that's one of the reasons why people, yeah, sometimes people would say to me when I told them what my business was, but can't people just buy a book? You know, there's what covers your parachute or how to find a job you love. Why don't people just get a book and follow that book? And the answer is because they fill in all of the tests in those books, but actually whatever it is inside them that's stopping them from changing will, will still be there and it will stop them from changing. Whereas when you, you know, when you sit down and work with a skilled coach, they will be looking for, well, why isn't, why isn't this person doing it themselves? So I was always actively looking out for that and you know, probing it. And when you do that first piece of discovery about who are you, you can start to ask those questions and set them up anyway. So you can kind of see... What might be the you know you look for the clues and the ways into digging under the surface, and um, you know at first I wouldn't make it. I, I that would be a bit of an implicit agenda of mine. So I, I wouldn't necessarily say to people, "Are we going to look for what's stopping you from changing?" Because I was just grateful for their business. But once I was had some momentum and you know after a year or two, like I said. I kind of had 30 or 40 clients on my books at any one time again, so I was back in that space of coaching all the time, and I didn't have a sense of scarcity in the same way. I would make it an implicit, yeah, sorry, an explicit um, objective of the coaching to figure out, and I'd talk to people up front in the, you know, the discovery session, the sales meeting discovery session. I'd be asking those direct questions. What's, what do you think is stopping you from making this change yourself? Where do you get stuck? What holds you back? What are the moments when you feel afraid? And I'd already we'd be putting those on the, you know, explicitly on the agenda as part of the coaching process to make sure that they were dealt with so that people, and I'd always talk about not only having the strategy and the vision for what career and life success looks like, but also having the mentality that enabled them to go and successfully make it a reality.
0: Yeah. yeah. So and, and, and people decode those things. Absolutely. People need both those things to be able to maintain the work that you do with them and do it again for themselves sometimes in the future. And exactly. if, if you have one but not the other, it kind of just doesn't quite, for most people, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, I want to catch, because um, I interrupted you in the middle of the story about speaking to, you were saying to generate referrals, have, oh, yeah. Good stay point. in touch with people. So,
1: yeah, so I did that naturally anyway. Um but what I started to do after a while, I kind of identified who were the people who were my fans, you know, effectively, who were, and there's some amazing people who were real advocates for me and would send lots of people my way. And so I started to just make a list of those people and I would make sure if I hadn't, like every three months, I would make sure I, I sat down for a day and sent all those people a nice personal email to find out what was going on in their life, to catch up with them. And I really genuinely wanted to know because they were great people. Sometimes I'd have a cup of coffee with them and lieu at the email or get on Skype and chat to them. And then, you know, I would not always, but sometimes say, and by the way, thank you for all the referrals. Is there anybody else you can think of right now? So I, you know, I would make sure that I was fairly regularly just asking that question and reminding them.
0: And I guess because... Could- because you had that niche so clear, it was really clear to them also who to refer to you, right? Yeah, it was easy. Yeah. Really easy. And did you get at that point, did you hold to the career change niche or were there other bits of work that were coming in too?
1: Um, yeah, there were. I mean, if you've been coaching for 13 years, you end up doing all sorts of interesting, different stuff. You know, once you kind of get out there and you've got some momentum, and people know roughly what you do. You get all sorts of oddball requests, and I, you know, I wasn't—I didn't do all of them. But sometimes it's just really interesting to try different things. So yeah, I ended up doing all sorts of different things. But yeah, it's a—it's a kind of useful segue into what happened next. So, yeah, you know, like I said, I after a couple of years, I had this business. It was referring itself, and at that point, you know, we'd moved back to the UK to have kids. And we did have kids and that was terrific. And because I put in that hard work and I kind of knew what worked in terms of marketing and what didn't, I was able to shift to doing a four day week, spending a day with my son, who which I did for seven years actually. Um, because we also had a daughter two years later. So all the time that my kids until my kids were full time in school, I always had a day that wasn't A non-white day with my children, looking after them, and that was one of the. You know, I remember when I was sitting with my coach back in San Francisco. I was like, I can't do this job forever because I, when we have when I have kids, I really want to be a present dad and spend time with them, and you know, be a part of bringing them up to be fabulous young people, and be a really present parent. So the coaching business that I built enabled me to do that, and the hard work. And discipline that I developed around the marketing and business development allowed me to do that. Even though at first it was a bit of a pain, it meant that with that, you know, with the right structures in place and the referrals, I could then successfully grow the business. I you know continue to operate the business and make the money that I needed to make and get the clients I love to, to serve. Um, so for quite a few years, that was a really happy scenario for me. You know, how my business was doing. Well, I was getting as many people in the pipeline as I needed to get good clients and do work that I really enjoyed. And mostly it was career coaching, but other stuff started to come in. The strand that was really interesting to me, and it it echoes back to where I tried to start out, was the, the clients I loved to help were the entrepreneurial ones who were saying, I want to start my own business I want to build an organization, I've got this idea, I've got this vision, how do I go about doing it? Um or, and or the ones who were saying, I want to go into an entrepreneurial startup environment and be part of the team that that grows a business. So those were the like when I got clients who had that outcome, I was always really pleased. Um, you know, I had to be careful not to push everybody into doing that because that was, you know, you've got to be aware of your biases, right? so the accountant who wanted to become a management accountant, equally valid outcome, as long as that you know, fits their values, as far as I'm concerned. But you have to be careful with that. So suddenly, yeah, I got this group of people who I've helped to go off and start businesses. And some of them are doing quite well. And then a few of them start calling me saying, so I'm CEO of this business now. And there's four of us and we've got a great idea. But this is really hard so is there any chance you could kind of coach me on being a better leader help me to think about how i grow this business you know what are my next steps how do i get from four people to ten people and get some revenue and some profit and i was like oh yes i would love to help you with that you know it's leadership development it's business building it's all the stuff that i was hoping to do in professional services originally but actually for me, in a much more exciting context because there's real potential for growth and impact there. So I took on a few clients um, over the years when I had kids and started working with them and really, really, really loved that work. Loved it. So so wide-ranging and Impactful
0: is that? Were those the things—the wide ranging and the impactful—that, like, what what was it that you loved about that work? What was what was the extra things that it had that that some of the career change work didn't? So I guess yeah, the career change work—I'd got this
1: beginning to end process with clear outcomes, and so it was easy to sell. But that was like a a very clear beginning, middle, and an end, and that's great because people get what they wanted but when you know literally after you know 6 or 7 years of doing that I've probably done another you know 800 clients through that process and so there's a risk with coaching that you it just becomes an, another you know sausage to go through the machine and uh, it's not quite you know, your 800 client is never as exciting as your first client right you know, if we go back to the relationship analogy this is when you've been married for seven years and you might get the seven year,
0: seven year itch, right? So you have to be, was it at seven years? How long were you in? It probably was about seven. Years. <laughs> and you know, when you, you
1: know, I always, I always keep in mind that initial lust and love that I had for coaching to make sure that I am at my best for my clients. I really want to be in that, you know that state and, deliver the best outcome for them. I want every session to be the best session and the best experience that every client's ever had. That's my intention. So you've got to really scrutinise yourself to make sure that you're not just starting to dial it in and becoming a bit complacent and going, uh, here's my 57th management consultant. He's a bit unhappy with management consulting, probably wants to move into a strategy role within a big company. Oh, bloody hell, do I have to... so I had to really keep an eye on that and be honest with it and make sure the relationship sort of didn't go into you know that death spiral where it's too much familiarity and it's not interesting anymore. There's no mystery left. So these new things really helped me to, to do that. I was like, oh, there's something different here with in this relationship with coaching. There's a whole new way of working with people. And rather than it being a beginning to end process, you know, my mind, my yeah, Myers-Briggs that I did with my coach back in the day, I'm, I got a massive P for Myers-Briggs. I love like open creative processes. I'm always looking for better ways of doing things. When you're building a business and becoming a leader, there's no beginning or end. Yeah, there's always ways that you can be better. There's always things that you could do to you know, improve. There's always scope for growth. and um, It's like an sort of endless puzzle to solve. Which really appeals to my strategic brain, um, so yeah, I would like. It was that sort of infinite scope of possibility that really excited me. I anyway, know the first client I had, who hired me as a CEO to help them. I've been working with him for eight years now, and we you know, when we started, he had an idea for a biotech business um, and a bit of IP that he owned and some funding. But nothing. He didn't have really a, you know, a team or anything. And over the years, we've grown it into a really successful business that now sells like, life saving, game changing technology in Europe and the US. Um, that's, it, it basically, um, it's technology that stops people getting pressure ulcers. It's never been done before. Um, and it saves lives and reduces suffering massively, but it's also commercially. It has the potential to be hugely successful. So that business has grown and become a a real star. Like the technology, I think, they were voted the innovate medical innovators of the year last year at an award ceremony. So I've seen it go all the way from those beginnings of a seed of potential up into a fully grown, successful business It's really, really valuable and, and has real impact. And I've been a part of that journey along the way helping in lots of different ways. Yeah, you know, it gets me out of bed in the morning.
0: Yeah, I could feel that. And, you know, I guess it's interesting, isn't it? Because even with this eight-year arc that you've got, it's not over. But now you've got an eight-year arc, which a bit like the, the one or two testimonials that you've got with, you get early on from the career work, you can talk about that now, just as you just have. So, and as you know, I know this, but you've evolved your business now that it is yeah, exactly. focused much more on that kind of work right exactly you know now my
1: kids are a bit older um and i i recognize that sort of seven year itch starting to become a thing i really sat down and thought about well what do i want from coaching now what do i want from my business now how do i keep evolving and growing and learning so you know this is another thing that we always challenge our clients with we like say you've got to keep it you know, you've got to keep growing. You've got to keep challenging yourself, finding ways to be better and different. Uh, journey never comes to an end.
0: Why do you think that's important, Phil?
1: Well, I mean, I would say from my own, my own experience of my inner world, it seems to be inbuilt into me. But from experience of working with thousands of people now, it seems to be inbuilt into a lot of human beings, this desire for personal growth and evolution. You know, we, we could probably both look at, you got your bookshelf behind me, I've got mine over here. There's literally, you know, of books about this. So it's obviously a thing, right? There's a global coaching industry worth billions of dollars. There's, you know, the whole psychotherapy world. Like, it seems like it's, it, it seems like there's a primal instinct to, for growth and improvement in humans. But I think that's why we exist and are able to do what we do. Um, and also, yeah, I think, of humans have got that sort of more primal bit of their brain that's looking for safety, the emotional and rational parts of human brains are also programmed to seek out happiness. And part of happiness comes from pleasure in what we're doing immediately, but part of it also comes from a sense of purpose and impact in the world, which is l- taking on longer-term, more meaningful challenges that require us to stretch ourselves and grow and you know do things differently than we've done before so uh, yeah I think I think it works sort of on every level that humans are always looking for that looking for that challenging growth and I'm no different
0: yeah and so I guess there's two questions that, that that are present for me about the current business model that you have I'm interested in that change Because I think one of the things that happens for anyone running a business, but especially a coaching business, is at some point most people will want to evolve their model a little bit, either the clients they work with or the fees they charge or the structure of their work. So I'm interested in that change and how you manage that and what you learn. But also I want to hear about what the work is looking like now. So whichever feels like the right place to go.
1: So I think I'll start with the second one. So I probably started to make this pivot three or four years ago, and initially sort of unconsciously. Now, my practice looks like I've got, I think I counted it the other day, there are 10 companies and organisations that I uh, am engaged by. Um, Pretty much in all cases, they are entrepreneurial, small-medium businesses that are looking to grow, or at least evolve their business model uh, in order to kind of get get to a, become scaled and scale or scalable. So they're somewhere in the startup scale-up uh, journey. I'm usually retained initially to work with an owner, CEO or MD kind of person. So the, usually the person who founded the business or one of the founders, or at least, if not that, then a CEO who has a, a stake in the business, it's owned by investors at that point. It depends how mature the businesses. And usually my way in is to start becoming the executive coach to those, own, to those owner MD characters um, and sort of come into their corner to help them figure out what's the next phase in our evolution and growth, what's our strategy for getting there, and do some sort of strategic oversight, what's the story we're going to tell in order to get there. And then on the other hand, how do I, as an as an individual leader, develop my skills in order to deliver that? Make sure I'm doing the right job and doing it well, and not doing things that I shouldn't be doing. You know, become a better communicator, whatever it takes, and whatever I, that person needs individually in order to deliver the growth strategy. To become the leader they need to be in order to do that. And then there's kind of a sort of secret third agenda, which is to become a trusted advisor, confidant. Because that role's very pressured and stressful. Because usually they're looked to as the visionary, or the holder of the culture, and there's that need to be constantly optimistic and positive about what's going on. And what you often find is when you look underneath the bonnet, like you know, these kind of businesses are, have a very short cash flow runway. They're struggling to meet, you know, almost struggling to meet the next payroll. They're wondering where that's going to come from. They've got all sorts of problems with customers and suppliers because they're maturing their model. And yet, at the same time, these guys are, you know, guys and um, women have got to go and represent to the world that everything's great and this we're on track to get to our vision. So to have somebody trusted to talk to, to be able to share some of their worries and frustrations, frankly, my agenda is often, hidden agenda is often to keep them sane because um, it's really, it's a pressured, tough job. It's really difficult. Um, so yeah, my business looks like working with these businesses, usually supporting those uh, leaders. And then often that morphs into working with leadership teams or teams within the business, um, sometimes providing some advice around strategy or building culture, doing workshops and input on that kind of thing as well. So kind of building relationships with those businesses and as they identify a need where I might be able to provide some support, kind of delivering that and helping them to get through that challenge. So over the last three or four years, i kind of gone from a totally 100% income from career change. Now I'm probably 95% from businesses and that, that sort of B2B executive coaching and a little bit of sort of strategic consulting income.
0: Is that is that the 5% or what's the 5% that's then left over?
1: The 5% that's then left over is, you know, every now and then one of my old clients will say, can you help my cousin, you know, um, I they need to do a career change and I'll be like, oh, okay then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because there's a, and yeah, don't get me wrong I'm not doing that under duress like I'll meet them and I'll be like oh this is a terrific person they're amazing they've got so much potential I really like them I love doing you know when you're not doing 50 career coaching clients it's really possible to pour some love and energy
0: and enthusiasm into a handful of people um and you never know where they're going to go, right? You never know which of them in five years are going to be the person coming back to you going, by the way, Phil, I've got this business idea. I, I hear that. I remember that what you were doing five years ago when we spoke was mainly that work. Please help That's exactly
1: right. Exactly right, Robin. So
0: yeah,
1: I, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I, I'm not happy about that 5%. It's just that that's... You asked me what the state of my business is. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and so what's the model then? I imagine it looks different, but it may not, to... That When you're, I guess, particularly that first bit with the executive coach for the MD, the founder, the CEO, how does that look uh, compared to the career change engagement you talked about before?
1: So it looks very different. And this was one of the, yeah, when I sort of sat down and went from unconsciously doing a few of these engagements to saying, I'm going to reshape my business and I'm going to change my niche from these mid-career career changes. By the way, one of the reasons that was less relevant is because I was older, (laughs) right? So targeting 27 to 35 year olds when I'm over 40 is a a different dynamic. I probably wasn't quite as relatable. Um, I ended up getting older career changes, but that's by the by. But I'm like, okay, I'm going to shift from this niche that has served me really well to a new niche. It's actually quite a sharp niche. It's, it's actually quite easy to find people who are founder CEOs of small, fast growing businesses. Like you can go on LinkedIn and run a very simple search and you can find thousands of them very easily. So I was like, okay, I need to, I still need to have a sharp target market. I need to have an entry offer. You know, Luckily, because I had started coaching like some of my clients who've made this transition, I had my, you know, my biotech story and I, I helped another guy build a social investment fund, et cetera, et cetera. So I had some credibility stories. Um, so I'm like, okay, I've got, got the niche. It's sharp. I've got an initial offer, which is I work with the founder. By the way, it's a really hard job, but I help with leadership and strategy. Um, got some credibility. So it was just a question of answering the same questions that I'd answered the first time around. How do I find these people? How do I market to them? How do I build a pipeline? How can I start to get to the point where if a small business owner or someone who's looking to scale up is talking to their friend and saying, oh, my God, this is a nightmare. This is really hard. I wanted to get to that same conversation where the other person would say, oh, you should talk to Phil, right? I mean, I really think that that for anybody who's growing a coaching business, that's what you need to get to whatever your name is, you should talk to XXX. And whatever it is that you are expert in doing in terms of the transition you help people make, you need to say, you should talk to XXX.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because and, and uh, Sorry, Robbie, can't. No, I was going to say, so in this new model then, working with these people, yeah, I guess there's two things. One is about, I'm curious... So it sounds like there was a shift in terms of what you wanted from your business in terms of the clients you wanted to work with. Now, I imagine there may have also been shifts amongst the financial returns you wanted and or amongst the, because lifestyle, it sounds like has been important to you the whole time, Mm -hmm. perhaps amongst the lifestyle that you wanted. You know, I personally don't. like like the idea i realized this pretty early on of having that the number of career change clients or of any client as many as you had when you were doing that career change stuff i don't know if that's come for you but so what were the were there other motivations and and how have they played out
1: absolutely i mean from a sort of business mechanics standpoint to run a career coaching business where you have these Transactional engagements with six
0: or eight sessions in. Yeah, and, and if you don't mind saying, do you, how much were they at uh, an average point? Um, I mean, it increased quite a lot over the time. So you
1: know, by the end, it was a couple of thousand pounds for one of those engagements you know, in that ballpark.
0: And in the middle somewhere?
1: Um, I think when I started out, they were
0: 750. Right, for six to eight sessions, yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, yeah, in order to do that and maintain a book of 30 or 40 clients, you if you're looking at refreshing you know, one and a half to two times a year based on the sort of time cycle, that means you've got to go and sell kind of 60 to 80 clients a year, which, if you think about it, is
0: selling two clients every week. Right, but you might have to meet three or four sometimes yeah. to get to that. Correct. Yeah. So then, and and, then, and th- those sums are really important, and I don't think that everyone... Uh, Gives them the credit they deserve. Who runs any business, probably, but but particularly coaches. It's like if you if you if your lifestyle doesn't add up at the rate that you're charging, then you, you Just, need to change yeah, one of those things.
1: You've got to you got to move one of the tiles. Yeah. Um. So you know that was a that's a lot of pressure on sales.
0: Yeah, and and I imagine that's also how you became a bit. Uh, you must have developed your sales conversations massively through having all those conversations.
1: I mean, by the, you know, towards the end of that business, if I had 10 sales conversations, I'd probably get eight or nine clients. So, you know, that's partly the, that's the halo effect of happy clients and referrals, right? Yeah. And it's also really, by the time you're doing your 3,000 sale conversation, you know, whatever you want to call it, like you're you're a bit better hopefully than the first time you've done it, anyway. Like, you yeah. know, especially if, you, if you've got a really clear product. So yeah. So although that was easier, yeah, this, there was pressure on sales. There was pressure on delivery because actually, when you've got 40 clients, you need to do a lot of sessions every week in order to deliver. And so, yeah, I'd, I'd be looking at probably at peak, I was doing like four or five sessions every day, and then seeing on quite a few of the Some of those clients I'd be seeing on, in person as well, so I'm just moving around. And then, as you said, cramming in sort of three or four sales sessions a week on top of that, and then working four days a week. So it was, it was very, when I was working, it was really compacted. And also, like, part of that seven-year itch is like, can I do my best work delivering 30 sessions a week? You know, including the sales meetings, can I always be at my best and can I pay the attention that I feel my clients deserve to all of them when I, you've got so many of them? And the answer was kind of starting to be a bit of a no. I was like, I need to change that. You know, I need to change the sales pressure. I need to change the delivery pressure and come up with a model that looks a bit different. Um, yeah, so, I guess that's one of the, you know, apart from the passion and the excitement, you know, looking at this different niche, I kind of recognized I've been working with my biotech guy on and off for years because there are always moments when he really needs some support to get through a particular challenge. And so we come back and we built a really deep, trusting relationship. And he was starting to bring me in to help facilitate team away days, all sorts of other things. So I could see that you know, one sale, was a much longer client lifestyle, sorry, um, life cycle Um, due to the nature of what you're trying to achieve Um, and there's also the possibility because of that to move on to a different charging model. So rather than selling a package for £2,000, there's a possibility to go on to a retainer so look, I'll support you for as long as you need and you pay me whatever it is on a monthly basis.
0: And what do they get for that if they're on that, that model now? So it's it's a package of
1: support. So it's coaching sessions and workshops with the individuals for whatever we're working on. But it also extends to, you know, I might go in and follow my client around for the day and watch them in action. I might go interview people to get feedback about their a particular area of development that they're interested in. Um, you know, I might work on looking, reviewing a document. You know, I'm helping a client at the moment to put together the story for how they're going to sell their business next year. And so I'm working on their deck and giving them feedback outside of the sessions. Um, yeah, I, it might, whatever it might be, it's a, it's a more rounded package of support in order to help them achieve their objectives
0: but isn't it interesting that that sounds so similar to what you realized you wasn't the right thing to be doing back at Deloitte 12 years earlier that's an interesting observation
1: i'd say yes and no like it takes some it takes some careful contracting to get these things right yeah because yeah i'm more walking the line between being a coach and a consultant yeah right i yeah I'm very careful to contract each thing that I offer to do and to put it in the light of this is how it's going to be, this is what I'm responsible for, this is what you're responsible for. So you're right, maybe it is like part of that desire to be more helpful and i I know how valuable and powerful coaching is as a framework, but I also have a really good strategic brain. I've also got now, after sort of three or four years of building up a practice and supporting you know Dozens of businesses I've also got some real insight into some of the challenges that you might face in growing a business some of the things that have worked for other clients um, and that is really valuable so there's you know, it's not like a mentorship because I haven't done it myself directly but I've also got that insight that I can bring and again as you know I referenced this earlier I don't see myself just as a mirror I'm a human being I'm using every, all of my resources to co-create and help my clients to deliver.
0: Yeah. And and so just to give us a sense of either what it's like now or what and or what you feel like it'll be in the future to get that lifestyle that you want now is it uh, it was presumably it's, it sounds like it's not 30 or 40 clients because you're having you're spending days in with people it must be some smaller number. What's the like how for you as a person how do you want that business to look?
1: So as i said it's now I think I'm engaged by 10 organisations um, in ver- varying degrees. I'd say probably half of them, are ju- yeah, I'm not saying just, but I would ju- to work with the CEO or MD and develop them as a leader and help them deliver on their objectives and the business's objectives. And then half of them are a bit more sophisticated than that. I'm still figuring out what the right balance is. I'm wondering whether 10 clients is the right number, or whether it's still too many. But yeah, you know, what has changed is the sales pressure. So now with you know I've got 10 clients with ongoing, not all of them on retainer, but with ongoing work on a longer term basis. Okay. And what I also find is that clients, you know, we have a period of activity and then they'll come back or we'll identify another opportunity to work. So there's there's future work in those relationships as well because there's a level of trust, but there's also the knowledge and insight that I have into those businesses, so I can be a really useful person for the leadership of the businesses. So suddenly, you know, I'm looking at saying, "All right, maybe in the next year, I need to bring in three new businesses to keep it refreshed. Make sure that, you know, some of these relationships will run to their natural course, and that I'll done everything that I can do to add value." And then maybe it'll go quiet for a long time, or maybe never come back. So you need to be—I need to be conscious of refreshing this business and making sure that I'm bringing in new challenges for me as well. Um, but suddenly that sales pressure is very different.
0: Yeah, yeah. And again, it goes back to doing those sums. I think you know, because I, I, I don't do the consultancy bit in my practice particularly that side of it. But as soon as I realised that if I if I worked with people over longer periods. And when the work that we were doing was was complex and uh, enough to warrant higher fees, then suddenly, yeah, you need to make a sale every couple of months instead of every week or two weeks or, you know, whatever it is. And that's much more manageable and sustainable. Uh, certainly feels like that.
1: But what I would say is, you know, if anybody who's listening to this, if he's still here after however long we've been going on, (laughs) um, yeah. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's a utopia. Right? It's a lot easier, and one yeah. of the things I've had to do is learn how to make these much more complex sales with bigger ticket value. Um, you know, as a, cred- a as a credible career, actually, with a thousand people under my belt, highly recommend it. To ask people to part with two grand to help them do something that is making them miserable is uh, you've got some pretty good leverage on your side. But as someone relatively new to this market, and asking people to give you a you know multi thousand pound retainer on a monthly basis ongoing. And I think you, know, you asked me a really good question. So what do people actually get for that? So figuring out, well, what do you actually get for that and how do you articulate that value and link it back to the value of the business? Yeah, there's a lot of learning in developing that sales process and refining it and working out how to, to get to a yes. Um, so I've had to go for a sort of full marketing business development sales reboot because what worked in the old business doesn't necessarily hold true anymore yeah
0: Yeah. And Phil, I can tell you are getting nervous about time. So for those who don't know Phil, he he is a timing ninja in his coaching. Well, that's certainly my experience. So I just want to say I, because I am not a timing ninja, I love to give myself loads of time. I've got a few more things that I want to catch before we finish. I'm genuinely not nervous about time. I'm just more conscious that if I was listening to this podcast, I'd be like, when are these guys going to finish? Yeah, they'll be on their third run of the podcast by now, uh, I think. So yeah, I want to catch a few things before we finish that I think are, really interesting and the first one is that last thing that you spoke about which is what you've learned about sales you know both from that first period and from you know where you learn about how to how to sell from books and then from how long was the career coaching business it was like eight years or something yeah something like that like eight years of doing that and then what you've learned from the shift like what are the I guess let's get practical. What are the tips that you that you give that you would give to people to help them shortcut all the learning that you had to do?
1: Okay, what have I learned about sales? Um, what I've learned about sales is that what you learn in your fundamental basic coach training is the key to being a very good salesperson, as the whole point of sales is to identify that problem that people want to solve. And then to understand why they can't yet solve it. And then to help them to identify a way that they can solve it. They what hopefully can see that you can help them to do and that they will buy into But that requires being really interested and curious about that person. It requires deep listening to really understand what's going on for them. It requires powerful questions to bring out that information and you know, to bring it often, the answers are there for people, but they're unconscious. So to bring those unconscious answers to what's getting in the way into the conscious and for them to suddenly see for the first time, this is why I'm stuck and I can't do it. This is why I might need some help. You know, if, I think you might have seen me do like a sort of sales meeting yeah, in one of the trainings that we've done. You'll find if, if, if anybody watches me do sales, I talk about myself as little as possible because I see myself as a catalyst and all I need, want to do is make sure that people feel that like I'm credible. So I try and do as much of the credibility stuff offline with my website and you know, with referrals and whatever. When I go to talk to somebody, I'm genuinely interested in what's their problem and how can I help them? And I want to find out as much about that as possible. So that's number one. All of that, those coaching skills absolutely invaluable when you're under pre- when I was under pressure in my early business I go and talk about myself a lot and burble on about all my credibility but that's because I didn't actually believe in myself and I was nervous about selling right now that I don't talk about that if possible at all so that's, that's probably the, the first thing I've learned about selling the second thing I would say is moving from the beginning of my business to now I've yeah you know, I've been working a lot on my own personal development, and at the beginning of that period in two thousand eight two thousand nine, I had a real scarcity mindset. I was like, I just need to get work. I want to do the thing I love, and otherwise I'll have to give up. And it's really hard. I'm going to have to persuade these people, and nobody wants to spend money on coaching because you know, I'd had those early knockbacks, and even though I, I should have seen it from all of the previous experience, I didn't. Over time, going on this journey, seeing getting back into the space of being in love with, you know, fully in love with coaching after the first rocky patch, I started to really, you know, really see the value. I have had thousands of clients. I've seen so much success. It doesn't come down to me being some genius. It's just following this coaching framework, believing in it, it's knowing what I can and can't do, and what where it's most valuable and applicable. I'm moving from a scarcity to a place of going, look, for the right person at the right time, this thing is wonderful. For the wrong person at the wrong time, it's no good. And now, coming into a sales conversation, I see it as a two-way transaction. I'm looking for, is this a person who I believe in, who I like, who I think has got a legitimate problem that I believe I can help them with? and that I would enjoy doing. So I've got some quite, now, some quite high bars and criteria for who I will and won't work with. Um, Part of my learning for changing my sales process is I now go on a lot of first dates with entrepreneurs and MDs where we have a coffee and just get to know each other before we even talk turkey about what we might help them with. And I'm looking for, is there a connection? Is there a spark? And is there something really worthwhile that they need help with at this point? And if the answer for me, if I can't answer those questions with a big yes, I'm not interested in prolonging the process, even if they want me to help them. So because I'm like, you know, in my little niche, I need to get three to five new clients a year. So I want to find the people who we are going to have an absolute, you know, we're going to have a blast together. We're going to do really impactful work. The business that they are doing has a real impact in the world, hopefully in a positive way, like my biotech client. So I'm, you know, I'm in a space of abundance of saying, there's plenty of those out there. I'm looking for the right ones where everything's a yes. Yeah, I think um, you, you're a big Rich Litvin fan. Right. He's about having a hell yes, right? Yeah.
0: It's like,
1: this is a hell yes co- conversation. Um, but it's, I, it's,
0: I it's such a good friend. It's such one. a good friend. Yeah.
1: So those are the two things I've I probably learned most. It's like, yeah, use your coaching skills, listen, be of service to the client, but also look for a two-way yes don't be like desperate and feel like it's scarce because frankly if you set up your business right and you put the discipline and the hard work into the marketing and the business development and the pipeline building you will quickly get to the point where you have more opportunity than you can service or rather quickly in terms of a year or two probably
0: right as long as yeah you keep that good frame of time and uh, as as long as you're doing really good work would be the thing that i'd add in and and i want to ask you a little bit um before we finish, I've got a couple more things. But one of the things I want to ask you about is the coaching school, because I did this amazing training with mm-hmm. Phil and uh, his yeah. co-trainer um, Vegard at the time, um, and yeah, found it incredibly impactful and like it gave me an amazing foundation uh, for the work that I've done since. And I'd love to hear you talk as briefly or as much as you want, really, about yeah how that came about and why, and also yeah, what your experience and what you took away from the coaching school are? Because as I understand it, right, you can clarify this. The coaching school, I think now is, is the website isn't up anymore. You've it's brought resting. it to an end. It's, it's resting. resting nice. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so this, I think this is,
1: yeah, the coaching school comes in the context of me getting the seven year itch. Uh. So at that point I was looking for, what's my next thing? What's my next challenge? Something that struck me as a, interesting possibility was can I build a more scalable sustainable business around my you know ongoing love affair with coaching and you know one of the things that presented as an opportunity was maybe there's a space to share some of what I've learned about coaching both in terms of the skills and the competencies and the approach and the mentality that you need to be a really impactful coach. And also in terms of providing support for people who want to turn that into a business to help them understand some of these things about the knowledge, the discipline, again, probably the mentality as well that it takes in order to make coaching into an income stream or your primary way of living. Because it's not an easy thing to do. There are you know, literally tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people who have trained as coaches or claim to be coaches. but if you take a sort of survey, not many of them are actually making much money out of it. So we would I thought the opportunity was to create an organization that did outstanding coach training, but also that was very practical around how do you then go and do what you did, Robbie, and turn it into your living. And yeah, I got really excited as I always do, because I'm a creator. I love building new things. Uh, I sat down and wrote a syllabus and put it all together and found a group of people to test it with and it went well. And um, I was like, wow, this has the potential to really grow into something. And it was it was actually great for me in terms of getting through my seven year itch, because it all of that work around what go what makes coaching magical made me helped me to fall back in love or stay in love with coaching, right? Like to teach it, to watch other people going through that journey of discovery and going, wow, this is so amazing and seeing the impact that they can have and how, you know, I still remember sitting on, um, in a park in Cambridge, watching you do a practice coaching session in one of our trainings. I was one, I got a little shivers there where you are just talking about yeah, that. Right? Yeah, I think you asked one question in four to five minutes and it was incredibly you know, powerful. You were just there for your client. You helped them think through... And really get in touch with what was going on for them on something that was really important in their life. And that, you know, that gets you back in love with coaching. You see that and you're like, wow, that's unbelievable what you can do without being a smart ass or having any knowledge or anything, just gentle, supportive, trusting relationship. So I thought, okay, this is not this could be something I could build up. And yeah, the coaching school ran for a few years. What I found out is I actually, my biggest passion is being with people and I love the training. I love developing people. I love mentoring them and coaching them around becoming coach. I love coaching them on building their business and being in front of a room with people on that. What I didn't enjoy so much was the actual mechanics of building the business and, and scaling the business, you know, which is ironic because that's what I help people to do. <laughs> um, it's, as it turns out, it's really tough, which is probably one of the things that got me onto the opportunity. And you know, I got some coaching and support with building the coaching school because just to me, it just wasn't as exciting. It, you know, my strengths are around creating things and thinking strategically. They're not necessarily around operational excellence or the you know, nuts and bolts of delivery. And that stuff just didn't, it didn't excite me in the long run.
0: And, and yeah, what happens when, you know, you about strengths quite a bit over the course of this conversation. What happens when you're really not in your strengths for you? Uh, it's just, you know, the
1: motivation to be disciplined and do the nuts and bolts stuff is not as strong for yeah. me. You know, Like I know, it, I know the stuff that puts me in my happy place when I'm doing great work. And In this case, the end result of getting in a classroom with a group of people was turning into a real grind to actually sell that, pull it together, do the marketing, the business development. Um, We were trying to build out a kind of cohort of trainers and that took a lot of work as well. And it was just, there was a lot of stuff that just wasn't making my heart sing. And it takes, you you've got to take a risk with those businesses financially. If you give up, if I, you know, the more I gave up my time not coaching clients, the coaching school wasn't making, I was making a bit of money, but it wasn't making the same kind of money. And I've got to feed my, I have a family, I've got to feed them. So to make the decision to commit to it, I would have to say, I'm going to take a big risk on this and I'm going to have to do a lot more of the stuff that I don't love doing. It was also like doing the training on weekends when we got, When we got some momentum up, one year I worked 18 weekends and my kids were like four and two at that point. And I was like, I I hate saying goodbye to my kids and not seeing Mm -hmm. them on all these weekends when I'm delivering training, even though I love the training. So there's a combination of factors. I reflected on it and went, this has been an amazing journey. We ended up doing five or six cohorts of coach training and a few individ- quite a few individuals who've done um, separately as well. Trained forty or fifty coaches. A lot of them are out in the world doing great work. I'm like, that was a great experiment. It went on for a few years. It's now resting.
0: Maybe I'll come back to it one day. Maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah, I think it's a sh- there's a, there's an element of which it's a shame because I think there is, as far as I know. I mean, anyone who's listening and knows of something like this, by all means, you know, get in touch. But as far you know, as far as I know, there is a space for a small cohort really practical uh coach training and i'm so glad that i was i happened to come to this thing in that four or five year period where that existed because yeah i don't I, I i never speak to anyone who did a different training and think do you know what i wish i'd done that one
1: well i'm glad to hear that robbie yeah um, and that, yeah, that, that's all we aim for we were trying to create something that was really you know an outstanding experience um and I think we did. I, I, you yeah.
0: Know, yeah, I mean, I, from personal perspective, like it, it definitely, it definitely was. Um, I guess before we finish, it feels like there's a there's a couple of things that we haven't haven't talked to in a detail, massive detail that I just want to ask about, give you a chance to speak about. One is that we've we've kind of noticed at different points how important creating a business that fits with your lifestyle is, and we haven't necessarily dived into why that matters and, and why that's important. And also you said tantalizingly quite early on that, that the personal development work that you've done on yourself over the time has been incredibly impactful. And I just wonder if there's anything in particular that that you want to share that feels like it's, it's important for people who are also on this journey of building a business, building a life, working as a coach. I
1: think that's a really, really good question, Robbie. So... To answer the first part of it? Yeah. You know, when I sat with my you know, when I first discovered coaching, that question, and then I sat with my coach and I went through these are my values, this is what's important to me. Yeah. You know, that was a really eye-opening moment. Cause I would have honestly not struggled to answer those questions until someone directly put them in front of my nose and started to ask me about what do you really care about in life? What do you really want? Yeah. You know, From that initial conversation, what I have increasingly come to realize is that I probably, you know, I don't, my values don't necessarily align with what societal conventions look like. As societal conventions say, you should always be looking to get to the next level, be promoted, make more money, and, you know, do as much and be as big as you possibly can be all of the time. They, those things actually don't motivate me. So being into light, one of the reasons it didn't work for me was because I wasn't that bothered about a lot of those things. What I realised is actually much more important to me is having a life where I can have impact on the things that I care about. Like I said, one of the things that one of the consistent themes through this story was. I, so a lot of the choices we made in our life were around wanting to have a family. That was really important to me. When I started my um, business in 2008, I got a couple of mentors who were both in their 60s and 70s and had been very successful business people. And they both said their biggest regret in life was not spending time with their kids when they were young.
0: Yeah.
1: And they were like, I was working all the time. I never saw my kids for the first 10 years of their life. And that's impacted my relationship with them for my whole life. So, yeah, that was a value that I really recognised. That's why I didn't want to, you know, when I was working away and that was making me miserable, I was like, I want to be with my wife. I want to be with my kids. I want to be at home and spend time with the most important people in my life. So that's been a real driver for me. Another thing that I discovered is, you know, I, in my teenage years and 20s, I suffered with a lot of anxiety and depression and you know, has some really dark patches going through that question around what are my values, I I suddenly out of nowhere realised that looking after myself and self-care had to be right at the top of my list because what I saw is when I didn't, when I didn't treat myself well, I couldn't be there for other people. I couldn't be there as a good coach. I couldn't be there as a good husband. I couldn't be there as a good son. I couldn't be there as a good friend. I couldn't be there as a good citizen because I was too anxious, in the pit, self-obsessed. And that was a lot of my experience for a lot of my younger life. So suddenly I started to explore what does it mean to look after myself? What do I need to do in order to put myself in a good energy space? That's why when I did coach training around energy, that was really... You know, a lot of light bulbs went off for me. So you know, I started to practice mindfulness um, in probably 2007 in order to help kind of control my thoughts and my anxiety. started to really bake exercise into my life. So I'm a, you know, almost fanatical runner these days. I run pretty much you know, at least five times most weeks. Um, you know, I realized that I need space in my life, like actually from my formative experiences, too much pressure and stress. I just really kind of, my brain wiring doesn't cope well with that. And I've done a lot of work to make it a lot better, but I don't like being in an environment where there's always that pressure to be at the maximum and be in the growth zone all the time. I've learned how to put myself in the right growth space and when to push and when to sometimes take a little break and give yourself a break. So, you know, I've learned about this whole value of self care. What's interesting, and this is, you know, I think this is really pertinent for anyone who wants to go down this pathway. You know, all of that pointed to me to a lifestyle business, right? In control of my own time, less at the behest of other people and deadlines of other people, um, able to bake in self care into my life able to decide when I work and don't work and how much I work. In order to do that, as you identified, you've got to balance that with income. So you have to you know, do the work to figure out, well, if I'm only going to work this much, how much do I need to make in order to make that happen? And how do I put together the right propositions to deliver that? So for me, it's always a, it's an art form, right? It's balancing living my values, building a business that I love doing that has impact that can also get me the reward both in terms of my growth but also financially. So, yeah, I've learned so much about that over the years. And for for me, it works really well. Because I've done that personal development and where there's been sticky moments, I kind of got some help or worked through them or read a book, which is my usual default. over time, I, it's become clearer and clearer that this is the way that I want to be. And I, I don't want to be growing by twenty percent every year for the rest of time because why the hell would I want to do that? Like you know, in the last few years, I have really doubled well, not double, but explored a lot about spirituality. I, you know, I'm in, increasingly coming around to being a Buddhist, and yeah, there's a lot there about not grasping and acceptance and just being happy with what you've got so there's this whole kind of journey that i've gone on and that you know if you're relating that back to the sales question you asked earlier i don't feel the attachment to i need everybody i meet needs to become a client and i need to make more money than last year but that's a bit unconventional but it works for me
0: yeah that's a quite rambling answer no it's a great answer phil it's a great answer uh, it feels like a nice place to start to draw the conversation to a close. Um, I guess before we do, I'm curious. Um, I wonder if I can do this within the within the marriage metaphor. Hmm. Uh, what have you got coming up to keep the spice in uh, your uh, relationship with coaching? Oh what are you working on at the moment?
1: This is my coaching midlife crisis. Right? <laughs> um, what am I working on? So obviously, you know, at the moment. Making Yeah, I'd say the transition that I'm making to the new business is three quarters to 80% there. So I'm still learning about what is my unique offering and how do I package that up and deliver it? How do I add the most value to my clients that I possibly can and how do I refine that? How do I do the business development and pipeline development? So I think there's still some more juice to be squeezed out of that. Um, I've also so kind of building off the coaching school thing I have got a client who are in the um, dance world They're a um, really successful innovative dance company and we have just started to explore the idea of building a leadership development training business to Kind of fuse a lot of the knowledge and experience that I got from coaching and developing leaders with a lot of the amazing work they do around storytelling, somatic experience, physicality. Um, so it's very early stages. Wow! But it feels like there's a possibility there to build, you know, build a more scaled business. Luckily, what I've learned is I have no interest in being the CEO of that business or the MD. Yeah, I know that I can bring lots of values to the table around creating new products and ideas of how we might fuse it together and turn that into a package. And I can I would probably enjoy doing some of the delivery. So I'm hoping that will develop into something um, that will build out over the next couple of years. Um, I think it has the potential to be really impactful.
0: Yeah, no, I completely agree. It feels like some, so I mean, even in even just within coaching, I feel like uh, my, for myself and clients developing the somatic experience and understanding that we have is vital. And yeah, I can imagine that you know those innovative dance companies are amazing, fascinating storytellers too. Oh, it sounds sounds super cool.
1: Look forward to hearing more. And, um, I'm, hoping and that's gonna, I'm hoping that's going to I'm hoping that's going to keep things spicy.
0: Definitely. <laughs> So, Phil, is there anything else just before we finish that you wanted to say or share um, before we wrap up? I mean,
1: I guess I'd like to thank you for this conversation. I genuinely have had a lot of fun. I'd like to thank your viewers for listening and hopefully there's something useful that's come out of this. You know, If anybody has questions or wants to know more or there's something particular that we talked about, yeah, I'm always open to a conversation. I'm sure you'll share my contact details, so you know it's an open invitation like over the years of you know all of this experience I've had and this love affair with coaching, what I've found and one of the things that helped me fall in love in the first place like in ninety nine point nine percent of cases I've found most almost every coach to be open, have a sense of collaboration you know be genuinely passionate about what they do and want to share and support and help other people and over the years i've you know attempted them as best i can to support other people on that journey so you know as i can be helpful you know don't, i say to people don't hesitate to ask questions um, and i'll see what i can do to, to be as helpful as i can so that's where i'd end i guess
0: it's great. It's great, Phil. And yeah, there's, I, there's been loads in this conversation that I'm sure lots of people will find uh, really useful and interesting. And like I said off air before we started, um, I'm pretty sure other than needing to eat some lunch, uh, maybe have a coffee, I'm pretty sure we could have gone on for another hour or two. So it's been such a pleasure. And thanks so much for your time. And uh, yeah, I will. will put some... Notes about the things we've spoken about up on the up on the wherever people are listening, but also at, at the and um including links to fail your website and all that kind of thing. Brilliant. Well thank you, Robbie. Yeah. Thanks so much. Until next time. See you soon. All right, take care.